Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. I'm your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I'm reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. This week, I am still in my quest to find happiness, making this week's book of the week this one, Mind Hacking Happiness. Ooh, big light. I will someday hang the curtain. The Quickest Way to Happiness and Controlling Your Mind by Sean Webb. So this is Mind Hacking Happiness Volume 1. Uh, next week we'll do Volume 2, but we're just doing Volume 1 for now. The accompanying cocktail is called Happiness. The uh, cocktail comes from a bartender in Dubai, so the units are in milliliters, and the conversion to ounces was really wonky, so I'm sticking with milliliters on this one. It is 40 milliliters of berry-infused gin, 20 milliliters of plum sake, 10 milliliters of lemon juice, 5 milliliters of elderflower syrup, and 60 milliliters of tonic water. Mint to garnish, except I forgot the mint, because I usually forget the garnish. So let's do this. Oh, for the record, he actually had a recipe on how to do your own berry-infused gin. I just went and bought one. It's not quite the same berries he recommends, but eh, I think it'll be fine. I have enough on my plate. I don't need to be making my own gin right now. Although I should. Gin is apparently quite easy to make. That is maybe going to go on my to-do list someday, but not today. All right. So a lot of what he's teaching in his book actually smacks of stoicism, which I'm fine with. I, I loved Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And look, you know, as we could all use a little break from the insanity that has become the 21st century, especially 21st century America, where everybody has gone completely fucking bonkers. 40 milliliters. But how do you do that? Like, how do you step back? How do you just turn it off? And that's what I wanted to know. And he fortunately goes into it, which is awesome because that is what we all need right now. I like sake though. Now, logically, as somebody who has followed the idea of Stoic philosophy, even if not like a, a self-described Stoic, I understand it. I understand that you can't control how the people around you behave. You can only control how you react to it, which is something that more and more people need to be aware of and just aren't. If you're easily offended, you're easily manipulated, right? <laughs> it's a very Stoic idea. Understanding that and actually controlling your reactions are two very different things irritated when my husband doesn't sweep the floor when I ask him to. Do I pick a fight with him or do I just quietly ask him if he would mind sweeping the floor for me? Um, I have done both. Last week I did option one which was not the most productive use of my time and I kind of wish that I had read the part of the book where it said learn to identify your emotions before picking any fights. That, uh, that would have been useful knowledge to have before I picked a fight with my husband. In my own defense, uh, I was not entirely wrong because apparently marriages last longer if the husband does what the wife says or something like that. That's actually not quite right either. If the husband needs to take into account what the wife says and make an effort to show that he does listen to her. That's more accurate than just doing what the wife says because the you know, wife's not always right either. And I say that as a wife. I went off on a tangent there. Let's pull it back in. So Webb spends a significant portion of the book breaking down how and why it is entirely possible to do just that. Uh, basically, everything we think, feel, and do is the result of our minds. Uh, but more than that, it's a clash with our ego, what he dubs self in brackets, and I'll put it right up here. This is how he has it spelled out in the book. And it's basically referred to that as that way throughout the whole book, which is fine. I have to stir it anyways to cut a lemon here. And back to using fresh fruit, not just bottled lemon juice. So 
he breaks down how self, always like this, and anytime he mentions self from now, just imagine these brackets, because that's what he does in the book. Self is tied up in all of this. Anything that ever bugs you, ever, is because your mind is telling you that it bugs you, and you are more than capable of ignoring your mind. And he tells you how to do that, which we'll get back to. I mean, how different things in your life directly affect self. Everything from your children to your favorite sports teams to political ideology can all be tied up in self. And the more power you give to each of those things, the more impact it will have on you. So really, you control how much power any one thing has over you. This is kind of a, you know what? There we go. And since I only need five of Elder, Elder, Elder Flower, my little beaker here only goes to that starts at 15 milliliters, so I'm just kind of spitballing here. I guess we're just gonna spitball the five milliliters. See, self is responsible for creating all of your own bullshit. He literally says that in the book, you're creating your own bullshit. You're creating your own drama. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if your mind is in control of things, which it has to be because your mind is in control of everything, including what it thinks, then your mind is telling you how to respond. You can tell your mind what to ignore. If you take control and tell your mind that no, you will no longer be bothered by X, Y, and Z because it's bullshit in your head, then you can do that. And I actually have done that. I used to be one of those people who argued quite frequently on Facebook with, you know, political ideologues. And uh, one day I just decided I was getting nothing from it and I stopped. Just like that. Just like that. It's not actually as hard as most people would think it is. It's not hard to do at all once you're aware of it. And that's the trick, right? Becoming aware of it. I don't even remember what happened that made me aware of the fact that this was going on. And uh, th this has nothing to do with the story I'm going to tell later in this review, but I just stopped. I have to start this. Hold on. Usually you shake a cocktail that has a, a different viscosity. So like the liquors would all be fine and clean the tonic water, but the elderflower syrup, the syrup usually means you would shake it. But as we all know, anything carbonated is going to explode if you shake it. I've done it a couple of times now. So we just stir it vigorously. If it's all bullshit in your head, then happiness is also all in your head. But which would you rather do? Which would you rather choose? Would you rather focus on the bullshit or focus on the happiness? I mean, I spent the last several months focusing on all the dark, depressing things that governments do to the people that they purport to protect, right? I mean, no wonder I've been in a dark and depressing place. That's what I've been focusing on for the last couple of months. So why does taking control of your mind matter? I mean, how does knowing that the bullshit is all on you help you? Uh, Webb spends an entire chapter about how most of the world's religions include injunctions to know thyself. And it's not just something that was written on the temple at Delphi. And that thought was echoed in Gad Saad's book as well last week. But all the world's religions discuss how taking control of the mind brings you closer to God, whoever that may be for you. Basically, it's finding this quiet stillness inside that lets you take charge of yourself. So taking all of what, you know, let me take a sip of this. It's a happy cocktail. It is just the right amount of sweet that's a happy cocktail. So taking all of what I just said, basically the knowledge that I've been acquiring of history and the great evils that governments are fully capable of inflicting on their own people has resulted in me feeling fear, anger, and sadness, leaving me very little room for happiness. How do I know all of this? Uh, well, I read this book to start with. And while I knew logically that all of this comes back to me, because as of yet, the government has not actually done anything to me. And frankly, censorship is far more likely to come from our Google overlords, which means that the only source of misery has to be me. 
I have to be the cause of all of this. Nothing's actually happened to me. I'm borrowing trouble basically by worrying about this. Still left me wondering what to do about this, right? I mean, how, how do I counteract that? How do I pull myself out of this dwelling in darkness? And um, I mean, acknowledging the misery is me is not quite the same as stopping it in its tracks. Or is it? Hmm. So how do you take back control of your mind after spending months submerging yourselves in darkness? Fortunately, Webb provides an answer to that question too. Start by naming the emotions you're feeling, or as he says, name it, tame it, which comes from a study by Matt Lieberman out of UCLA. Just identifying what you are feeling in a moment can stop in its tracks. If I had identified how annoyed I was about my husband not sleeping, I could have stopped in its tracks, taken a breath, calmly asked him if he would mind sleeping. I did not do that. It was it was counterproductive. I mean, my floors got swept, but it pissed off my husband, and uh, that's counterproductive to any healthy marriage. Just just FYI. So how do you identify? Like I mean, like how did I specifically identify that it was fear, anger, and sadness that I was feeling? Well, he spends a chapter breaking down what is actually going on when you're feeling anger, fear, sadness, a little bit of happiness. More on that in a moment. He does direct you to his website, which is mindhackinghappiness.com. I will put that up here for other emotions. But he hits the big ones in this book. And the big ones are fear, anger, sadness. So fear is, quote, the emotional response that occurs when your mind perceives a threat to self. Do I feel threatened by a government so run amok that it would talk about disarming its own citizens and locking them up for disagreeing with the narrative? Yes. Yes, I, I feel threatened by this. That's a fair assessment of what I was feeling about um, everything I've been reading and about everything going on in the world. Anger is, quote, the emotional reaction that occurs when your mind perceives an attack on self. Well, I mean, hell, I started this book review journey as a result of the 2020 elections. Not, uh, not that Biden won. I, that was basically a foregone conclusion, just <laughs> given how divisive Trump was and, and was made out to be in the media. So I didn't care that Biden won, that was just going to happen. But in the weeks prior to the election, a friend was complaining about how she wasn't really a fan of Biden either, but he was better than the alternative. And I pointed out that there was in fact another Joe running, meaning Jorgensen of the Libertarian Party. And I was told, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here because it's been a few years, that I was the worst person ever for even considering a third party option when the election was this important. This incidentally is the last political debate I ever got onto on Facebook, ever. And I hadn't done it for years before that, and the only reason I did it here is because it was somebody I thought was a friend, right? Um, I countered that maybe she was the worst person ever for voting for somebody she had no faith in just to spite the other side. And as one might imagine, this kind of post and repost had no impact on either of us. Neither of us changed our minds, and we basically don't talk anymore. Now, she wasn't like one of my close personal friends. I do have a close personal friend that I lost touch with because of a political debate on Facebook, who I reconnected with and acknowledged my own fault in that. So you can certainly come back from these errors if you're willing that the other side is willing, because they have a say in it too, right? They can decide they don't want anything more to do with you, and that's that's fine. That's life and you have to learn to forgive and understand and have compassion for that. And this is included in the book also. But I was so mad. I mean, she's calling me the worst person ever because I'm choosing to not vote for a lesser evil. Wow. And uh, so I started this channel out of spite. It's going well for me. I mean, my liver might disagree, but overall I'm enjoying myself mostly. 
except for three months dwelling in darkness, but that's neither here nor there. So slightly less mad, but a whole lot worried is how I'm at two and a half years after starting this channel. The saying that history repeats itself is not quite accurate. Mark Twain is credited with saying history never repeats itself, but it very often rhymes. As a student of history, I've heard this song before, everything that's going on, and it sucks. Hence the anger over the state of affairs and how idiotically we the people keep voting for the same idiocy. Very angry about this. On to sadness. Sadness is, quote, the emotional reaction that occurs when your mind perceives a loss of self. So grief is the obvious example, like when somebody close to you passes away and that part that occupied space in your head is now vacant. So I've been sad over how wretched everything is becoming, how violent and awful people are to each other. This makes me sad. I, I genuinely don't understand how you can spend your, your life tearing people apart like this. So happiness itself is only touched on in the book, but specifically addressed in book two. So I'll have more on that to report next week. But the above are some of what I've been feeling, along with worry. Like the worry is how are we going to feed ourselves when the supply chain collapses? And this worry was compounded exponentially by reading post-apocalyptic fiction. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking there to read that on top of everything else. I, I did stop that about three weeks ago, which helped immeasurably. Uh, stress, which is the result of unresolved emotion, is wildly unhealthy for you. And um, I didn't need to add fiction, really credible fiction, on top of everything else that was going on. So what do you do about all this? Well, as Webb says, it's time to rebalance the equation. When you're feeling something like this, rebalance the equation. Part of the science of happiness and how you hack your way out of misery is rebalance the scales of what you've been feeling. And it's something as simple as reframing a negative in a positive light can help you tremendously. You have to balance your expectations and preferences. He has an eye. He actually has a full formula for this, which I'll go over here, but he explains it much better in his book. Um, balance your expectations and preferences of a situation against the perception of what's happening, and you're going to get your emotional response against this. So, for example, my dishwasher has been leaking under my kitchen sink for a few months, which went unnoticed until we started to get mold on our cabinets. Not uh, black mold. Not black mold, fortunately. I can say that quite confidently. But just mold, but still, you can't leave that because it could develop into black mold, even in the desert. So now we have to remodel our kitchen. And my preference, obviously, would be to not have to rip up my flooring and remove subflooring and replace all of my flooring, tiling, cabinetry. My perception is that this will be expensive and a pain in my ass. This emotion elicits the emotional response of irritation. I mean, what a pain in the ass and worry. How the hell am I going to pay for all this? So how do you reframe such a colossal clusterfuck of why God is this happening to me into a positive experience? So I don't have to remodel my kitchen. We could theoretically just rip up the flooring, replace the subflooring, and leave it at plywood. That, that certainly is an option. It would suck, but it's an option. It would be very minimal cost. We could look at repairing the dishwasher or buying something cheap and used or just wash dishes by hand. These are all options. So instead of that, I'm saying I get to remodel my kitchen. I'm, we're going to use this opportunity to rearrange the layout. We're adding more cabinets, a pantry in the kitchen instead of external. We're going to change that into like a coat closet or extra food storage. We're getting a better stove. We have, we've had the same stove for 13 years because that's when we bought the house. Um, better dishwasher, obviously. So now instead of being irritated about the process, I'm excited. I mean, we get a new space that we're creating that, that will hopefully fit us better and work better. 
Um, our kitchen's quite small, so having the chance to rearrange it to make it work a little better is exciting now. So what about the expense? Because that's, it's expensive to remodel anything, right? Unless you're just painting something, in which case it's a can of paint and a few rollers. It's expensive to do a remodel. Um, so how do you make that into a positive? Um, how I reframe that in my head is I'm actually quite lucky. Uh, see, the husband spent the better part of a year as a general handyman at a small apartment complex, which means we don't have to hire labor to do any of this. We, we literally have the skills and knowledge to do it entirely ourselves. And he'll be the driving force behind it because he has the actual knowledge, but I can be an extra set of hands. We don't have to hire anybody. We can actually do this all ourselves and it will look good and professional when we're done. So there's that, that's a good thing. The money to buy all of these things is kind of a hurdle, but we have options. Uh, we can see if we qualify for a 0% interest card at big box store near us, right? We can refinance our house which is admittedly not my favorite option because of how high interest rates are now, but it's a viable option. We could certainly do that. I can take out a 401k loan, which is not bad uh, since then I pay myself back with interest, which helps the 401k grow. So that's a really good option. Or if push comes to shove, I can see if I can take out a small loan from bank of mom and dad. So instead of worrying about the money, I'm now lucky to have so many options available to me. So now, my new balance is my expectation is I'm going to have an awesome new kitchen that I love to work in. My perception of what's going to happen is that it's going to be a little bit of a hard labor, but the outcome is going to be amazing. And now I'm happy about this. I, I'm excited to see what we actually managed to pull off. Like I have a vision in my head and I want to see if I can make reality match the vision in my head. So I, I might update after the kitchen if I think of it. We'll see. So changing my expectation and perception of what's happening rebalance the equation to more something more positive. At least I think I got the analogy correct. I, I hope I did. So there's one tiny thing you can do to make yourself happier. Instead of looking at the darkness, pull a Monty Python. Always look on the bright side of life. Just look at the bright side. But wait, there's more. Uh, Webb goes beyond just identifying your feelings. He does include how you can make it easier for yourself to take a backseat to meta-awareness, where you, wherein you actually take control of your mind. And I'm not going to lie, I, I already knew the answer. Like, because of everything I'd read in his book up to this point, I knew the answer. It's just a life skill I've been putting off learning for a very long time. The best thing you can do is meditate. I once started reading Meditation for Dummies. I did not finish. Don't know why. I just didn't. But meditation is the top skill you can learn to help quiet your brain down so you can listen for whatever God voice speaks to you. Or just to the universe in general if you're an atheist. It doesn't have to be God. But there's no reason that meditation can't work for atheists, obviously. It's just it's a life skill that is very good for you. Helps to calm your stress. He actually has a whole bunch of things that are very positive benefits of meditation in his book. But meditation has been practiced for literally thousands of years, like since before recorded history, right? Along with knowing yourself, it's mentioned in basically every major religious text. So meditation is a solid way to go, but he also provides alternatives if meditation just isn't your cup of tea. You can journal which will serve a similar function under the Name It, Tame It school of thought. Basically writing out what you're feeling gives those feelings a voice. Sometimes they just want to be heard. Exercise helps. 
Uh, also one I was not surprised by. I've seen lots of studies about exercise being very good for you, not just physically, but mentally, and how it can have positive benefits for you. Um, I've been meaning to go back at the gym, which I know everybody always says. I've literally designated tomorrow as the day. We'll see if I make it. Hopefully I'll make it there. I, I do need to start working out. God damn it. So I, uh, we're going to try that one. Right? It is good for you, and I always feel better after I work out. Diet helps to no one's surprise. Well, okay, to no sane person's surprise. What you put in your body can have a massive impact on your happiness levels. If you feed yourself garbage, well, I mean, there's an old programming lingo that says garbage in, garbage out, meaning if your code's bad, it's going to suck. The end product will suck. Same thing, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If all you feed yourself is garbage, you're going to feel like garbage. Sensory deprivation tanks. That's always a good option. Most major cities have one. I know there's one in Reno because I actually Googled it right after I said it. I'm like, oh, is there one near me? There's got to be. And yes, there is. Bonus points if you meditate in a float tank. Apparently, you can actually see the face of God. So I'm kind of excited to see that one. Uh, finally, forgiveness and compassion, which I get, right? The only person you hurt by holding a grudge is you. I don't mean you have to let somebody back into your life. There's a di that's a different topic of discussion, right? Uh, forgive and forget, you know, forgive, let them back in. Oh my God. Yeah, you don't have to let somebody back into your life. That is a completely different topic of discussion and depends on you and the person, the circumstances. I mean, if, if somebody, you know, if you left a violent situation with a domestic partner, forgiving them is one thing. Letting them back into your life is a whole lot of no, right? For quite obvious reasons. You you need to take care of your own physical safety as well. But hating them forever and ever and ever is just going to hurt you more. All right. Understanding that they have demons they're battling is big one. And he has a really strong story in there about the power of forgiveness and compassion pulled from his own life. Very strong. It's not my story to tell, obviously. So I'm not going to, just like I didn't with any of that sad stuff last week, I'm not going to tell you Sean Webb stories. But if you read the book, you'll read the story yourself and you'll understand the power of forgiveness and compassion and why it matters. Um, like I said, holding on to a grudge hurts nobody but you. And do you really want to hurt yourself more than you already have dwelling in your own bullshit head? I don't hold a grudge against my friend who basically compared me to the Antichrist for voting third party. I, I understand that she was and probably still is deep in this Trump derangement fear spiral. And it's cool. I get it. I, I still don't necessarily want her around me because uh, it's not everyone who could say, yeah, I know exactly who put my name on a deportation list. Unless our government goes open book after the fact like, like East Germany did after the wall fell. That's um, I read that one a few months ago, right? That was part of the depression fear spiral I went into reading, the, reading all these books was how absolutely horrifying, horrifying governments are. But... Well, the white pill had a happy note, right, in that Michael Malice believes we're starting to see the light and come out of this garbage. I kind of agree with that. Like, more and more people are becoming aware of what's going on. And you know what? That is not the topic of this, that, this book. That, that, that's a past book. I have talked about that book. We're done with, with the white pill. No offense to Michael Malice. I adore him. This week's book was quite excellent. It, it's a pretty... It's very comprehensive. I think if I had any complaint, any complaint, and it's, it's actually kind of funny that, I, that this is my complaint, right? Um, he says in the introduction that the average human attention span is now 8.5 seconds, which is literally less than a goldfish. Like a goldfish has more memory and concentration than a human does, which I actually believe in today's society, which is really scary. But 
his chapter on the like his longest chapter is like 50 pages that is a long damn chapter that's the one where he breaks down what you know fear sadness anger that is a very long chapter I'm like break him into smaller bite type chunks i only have the attention span of a goldfish here less than a goldfish chapter shouldn't be that long Oh, who are we kidding? I mean, I read it, right? See, I say that, but he actually, while it was a very long chapter, he didn't just go on. There were very clear, like, chapter breaks. So, really, it's just me bitching to bitch. It was a good book. I'm looking forward to volume two, which I will have for you guys next Sunday. Bye.